thank you. Thank you for your prayers too. And uh, Well, we've been on this journey, haven't we? Going towards Jerusalem. And uh, we have that uh, traditional countdown at this time of the year, don't we? Um, with our Advent calendars. And we're up to door number 22. Anybody opened your door number 22 this morning and had your chocolate? Yeah, oh, there's two of you admitting to it anyway. And certainly as kids, that growing excitement that day by day we're getting closer to the big one, if you like. And uh, since the beginning of time, God has had a rescue plan for humankind. And many false prophets and messiahs have come and they've gone. Finally, I can announce that the one you've been waiting for has arrived incarnate in skin and flesh in bone and flesh he's finally arrived amen the ones that the prophets foretold has arrived the waiting is over he didn't send a substitute or a fill-in but he came himself in flesh and bone himself that's what it means incarnate he came in the flesh not as a ghostly figure not as an alien E.T. phone home and all that business he came in the flesh and he made his dwelling amongst us and he made his dwelling amongst us. And the word used there, dwelling, as that sent, uh, could be translated, and he made his tabernacle amongst us. I wonder if that word tabernacle just, just resurrects, resurrects and resignates something within us who know something of God's story. That it was God who resided, who lived with his people when they went through the wilderness. Do you remember? And in the tent of meeting and there was the little place where they met with God and then the temple was built and there was a space where they met with God. And now here the New Testament is saying and now God, Jesus, pitched his tent. He tabernacled amongst the people. Himself came and dwelt amongst the people. Perhaps we forget how many times um, um, God came in the nick of time. You see, God is the Lord of time. Do you remember when Moses was being pursued by, the, uh, by Pharaoh and his armies and they were coming to the Red Sea? Their backs were against the wall. See, army, see, army what on earth is going to happen and in the nick of time God showed up and he parted the waves and they walked through on dry, dry land do you remember the other story that the, that the children of Israel would have told each other do you remember when Joshua and the army were walking around the walls of Jericho and God said do it my way and not yours walk around seven times seven times alright then and on the last time, blast the trumpets. And we all know the story. 
that the walls came tumbling down and there's still remains of those even to this day. God turned up in the nick of time. Do you remember when Jesus was on earth and uh, there they were at the wedding and they'd run out of wine? Who do you turn to? Well, some of us who are teetotals might think, well, the last person you would ask is Jesus for some extra wine and, and the best wine. <laughs> and in the nick of time, Jesus turned the water into wine. Do you remember the woman who was caught in adultery and they were all stood around her and they were ready to throw their stones in condemnation and bring upon her the death sentence. And Jesus stood in between those who were ready to throw the stones just as it were in the nick of time. He's, he's the Lord of time. What timing. And when we read and reread the, the old, old story, you know, one of the challenges as, as I come and share and preach is, we know this story. Well, it's the old, old story. How do you put a different spin on it? Well, you can't put a different spin on it, but hopefully you pray, Lord, just reveal some, some, something more of your extravagant love for us. Give us a, a fresh insight. But it's the same old story. God came down to planet earth to be fully human and fully God to express his love for you and it hasn't changed with all the technology we've got it hasn't changed the story's still the same Jesus came God came and he pitched his tent amongst us and he pitched his tent amongst us and just at the right time who would have thought that a census, well, as we know, a census in the UK has been done every 10 years since 1841. And you will have known that when the census comes, you have to tick off and how many people in your household and blah, 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 and all that business. And here we had, um, 2,000 years ago, there was a census called. And they all had to go back to their ancestral home. Do you realise, without that census, Jesus would have been born out of place in, in, in Nazareth. That wasn't where the prophets had said. The prophets had said he would be born in Bethlehem. In Bethlehem. Down the road from Jerusalem. The house of bread, that's what it's called. And God used the census for Joseph and Mary who must have thought really? 80 mile journey I don't know how many days that's going to take of course we always get the impression that Mary's nine months pregnant and she dare I say drops it forgive me delivers literally she's arriving we, we don't know that what we do know is she was carrying God in that sense as she came to Bethlehem and they travelled to Bethlehem and they went looking for some space for some for a room but God was in it all and it reminds us of how accurate God's word is as uh, 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 what's your name again Kevin that's your name isn't it it's a bad sign isn't it as Kevin was alluding to, 
as we look at the Old Testament scriptures written hundreds of years before Jesus came and when you look at the New Testament we see that Jesus fulfilled everyone that was asked now some people who are sceptical might have said oh well he could have worked it and weaved it his own way well I suppose you could have argued some of those things he couldn't have done the birthday could he he couldn't have arrived in Bethlehem unless of course it was God Mary and Joseph went to Bethlehem they may have been overlooked by many others but we see how God has his hand his fingerprint upon Mary and Joseph at that time one thing we all have the same each day is 24 hours 1,440 minutes we've all got the same some of us might have a bit, of, a bit more of this property and a bit more of that clothing and a bigger family and a smaller family but from a time we've all got the same 24 hours how are you going to use that time for God's kingdom's sake that we might be a people who live well for him that people might see a reflection of Christ in us the hope of glory the nativity scene familiar to all of us is that he is the Lord of time and eternity and he came just as he promised and then when we think of that occasion I think of what humility this is the king of the universe what humility can, can you imagine any king or queen or president or ruler coming camping first of all budget style and camping next to you I mean, it's ridiculous. It's unbelievable. And yet we have the imagery here. Not just the imagery. We have it in flesh and blood that the king of the universe came and pitched its tent and camped, as it were, next to you and I. When I looked on the internet, when, uh, when Mr. Trump came to the UK um, just at the beginning of this month, this is what it said in the BBC as to what his entourage looked like. We, we can see right at the beginning here that the police were leading and then we've got the limo um, and the decoy apparently and then there's the secret service and then there's the aides with the doctors and then apparently there's some electronic defence here and uh, we've also got uh, control and support and an assault team and the intelligence team, a hazardous materials unit, the press, and so it goes on, satellite, communication, and ambulance, and the rear guard right at the back. Now, this is, was according to the BBC. I've not made it up honest. Of course, the car, besides all that, is armour-plated, bulletproof, uh, bulletproof glass, Air Force One, uh, would have uh, parked up somewhere nearby with its own conference room it has its own theatre and medical unit there as well just in case 
according to the telegraph our dear queen when she travels she always travels with a black outfit in case there's a tragedy she has a personal doctor who takes a defib with her just in case depending upon which country she goes to then there'll be some units of blood that may be taken there's an entourage of 34 people at least apparently according to the telegraph um, just so that nobody's worried um, they take their own toilet paper and a hot water bottle and in meek contrast God visits visit took his visit to earth took place in an animal shelter some would say in the back of beyond with no special attendance as such at the birth where he had nowhere to lay his head but a feeding trough for sure the prophets had foretold of his coming and the angelic hosts had paid a timely visit to Mary and to Joseph that the promised one was on his way and the shepherds were the first to be invited. The Times newspaper talked about this incarnation of God becoming flesh and it used this phrase, God comes into the mud and the mire God enters our experience to the full there is nothing that he does not know about our experience there is nothing that he doesn't know about our experience he shared our, our humanity Martin Luther, the reformer, said, He ate, he drank, he slept, he walked, was weary, sorrowful, and rejoicing. He wept and he laughed. He knew hunger, thirst, and sweat. He talked, he toiled, and prayed, so that there was no difference between him and other men, save only this, that he was God and had no sin so the carol that we'll be singing this evening away in a manger no crying he makes although the, the carol's trying to say he was perfect if we're not careful what it misses out is that he was also fully human so I'm quite sure that Jesus in that manger had a good set of lungs on him and he definitely did cry and wake up Mary in the middle of the night for two hourly feeds. The carol says, no crying he makes. Mm. He was fully God, but he was fully man too. So he knows and has experienced what we have experienced too of all those difficult places, 
of all those trials, of all those difficult dilemmas. He's been there too. You could say he's got the t-shirt. So we have a sympathetic high priest when we come with our woes and our troubles and our heartaches and the joys. There's a sense of he knows because he's been and walked the dust of the earth. C.S. Lewis describes God's humility and condescension like this and he's trying to just help us to get our heads around how does a great God suddenly become a babe, a vulnerable babe at the beck and call of human inexperienced parents? How, what is that like? And C.S. Lewis puts it like this, he says... The eternal being who knows everything and who created the whole universe became not only a man, but before that a baby. And before that a fetus inside a woman's body. And if you want to get the hang of it, think how you would want to become a slug or a crab. Yuck. No thank you. Anybody want to become a slug? Do you get it? Do you understand? The splendour and majesty and God becomes a human being. It's like us wanting to become a slug and communicate to the slug world, if you like. What humility. What condescension. What love. And Christmas is all about this incarnation, about the divine word making himself nothing, taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, as Paul records in the book of Philippians. God became flesh and blood, and he came for you. And what was he full of, this passage talks about? You know, we say today of someone who is promoting themselves or think that they're God's gift. We say that they're full of, well, you might put another thing there, but they're full of themselves. They're full of themselves. Hey, look at me. You've not got a spot on me. You want the job doing? Ask me. Don't ask anybody else. Sing? I can sing better than anybody. Run? I can, I can run. Full of themselves. And when we look at the Christ babe, what do we see? Scripture tells us that he is the radiance. When we look at his face, he's the face of God. He's the radiance of our great God. But this passage of Scripture here describes Jesus as being full of grace and full of truth. Grace is by definition unmerited, undeserved, it's free. You know the famous quote from from Philip Yancey, he said, grace means 
there is nothing we can do to make God love us more. And grace means there's nothing we can do to make God love us any less. That's grace. You know, I was brought up on earning salvation. I was brought up on good works to to earn God's favour. But that was a lie. Because it's by grace that we are saved through faith. The good works comes once we've received the grace. But I used to worry myself as a youngster, making sure I was doing the right thing, getting brownie points with God, trying to earn that salvation. And one of the things we struggle with, and any other philosophies in our world struggle with, is grace. We struggle with grace. When somebody gives us a gift for nothing. (laughs) Oh, really? Oh, that's really nice, but is there anything I can give you back? Have you been there? I have. (laughs) When somebody's been really kind to us, when really they... They just shouldn't have been. We struggle with grace. And here we see Jesus who is full of grace. And it goes on to say, and grace upon grace. Count your blessings, the old hymn says, one by one. Grace upon grace upon grace. And do you know what? We can't exhaust the grace of God. I like John Stott's definition of grace. He said, Grace is love that cares and stoops and rescues. Grace is love that cares and stoops and rescues. It's a challenge for wanting to be like Jesus it's a challenge to be full of grace and full of truth and we barely touch the tip of the iceberg in our lives but hopefully when we see expressions of grace and truth in our lives we see expressions of Christ in us the hope of glory so many of the situations sometimes that we deal with on a, on a regular basis and some of those difficult places it's, I ask myself the question so what would Jesus do? I know what I would do but what would Jesus do? How might he respond to this? And gradually over life experience I've begun to learn that grace always wins I've learnt that grace takes the wind out of the sails of somebody who might be opposing us and making life difficult for us. Because they expect a tit-for-tat response because we're human. I'll give as good as I get. Or get in first, do unto others as they would do unto you. Well, do to them first before they do to you is what the world philosophy might be. 
and the challenges that we might be full of Christ, full of grace. We read it in Matthew's Gospel, you've heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, don't resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. It goes on to say, and if someone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. Now that's tough. Avoiding a give-as-you-good-get philosophy. And John the Baptist's prayer was that I might decrease and that he might increase. Jesus was balanced, not lopsided. He was full of grace and full of truth. Sometimes we can be very gracious with little truth. Sometimes we might be seen as they're a bit wishy-washy, aren't they? And anything goes. And there's no underlying truth. But Jesus was full of truth as well. And the truth, full of truth, the root meaning of the word truth there is reliability. Jesus was reliable was trustworthy. Jesus embodied the truth about God and salvation. So much so that he had the audacity to say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And in a world of fake news today, and people being economical with the truth, or massaging the figures, when it comes to salvation and you're looking for a saviour of the world and someone to rescue you there are many fake news adverts out there but Jesus says no one comes to the Father except through me in Jesus our search for God is ended. And the truth of God's love is displayed for all to see. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Jesus wasn't just a good man or a prophet or a priest or a rabbi. He was far more than we could ever imagine. He was God in the flesh. And that truth has separated us from all other philosophers. In fact, John states that any other philosophy, in his first epistle, he states that, um, that any other philosophy that doesn't acknowledge that Christ has come in the flesh and from God is the spirit of Antichrist. The first epistle of John chapter 4, you'll find that there. 
And there are many philosophies around us who will be saying Jesus was a good guy, was a good man, was God-like, was similar to God. And according to John, it's saying, actually, you're missing the point. He was fully God. And if you don't acknowledge that, then it's blasphemous and it's anti-Christ. We're living in that age, just like those New Testament folk were, where they were waiting for the Messiah to come. We're in that in-between age that Christ has come but Christ has promised to come again. And we're encouraged to be alert, to be ready, to be watchful. And Scripture poses the question, will he find faith on the earth? So as much as we're saying to each other this morning and over these next one or two days, are you ready? Is everything ready? Some of us were sorted weeks ago for Christmas Day in that sense. And others are still running around. This is one of the first years that I'm not running around on Christmas Eve. But when our eyes are turned heavenwards, are we watchful and waiting? Are we ready? That should he come like a thief in the night. Nobody's ready. Are we ready to receive him as our Lord and as our King? There were many mocking voices 2,000 years ago about the promise of the Messiah and who is he, and when Jesus arrived, who is he anyway? There are many mocking voices today saying exactly the same. And many mocking voices today saying, this Jesus, you've heard the comedians make fun of Jesus coming again. But we hold on to a God who has loved us. Our lives have been touched by his love and he is full of grace and he is full of truth and he's promised to come again. Finally, I read one of those ethical dilemmas. You know, you get some of those ethical dilemmas or if, on your ethics paper, what would you do? I read of a dilemma posed of two people drowning and needing rescuing. One is your son and the other is a scientist on the edge of a, a major breakthrough in cancer cure. Who would you save and rescue? And of course, most of us, I would save my son. Most of us would save that nearest and dearest. And the wonder of God coming to earth being born as a babe and going through a cross is that God didn't save his son but he came to 
rescue you. What love. What grace. Christ came when we were far off and dead in our sin. So let me remind you that he is closer than you think. Emmanuel, God with us. It's not just a nice phrase we use at Christmas time. It's a reality for 365 days of the year. And whatever your circumstances are this day, or on the horizon, Emmanuel, God with us. And my experience is that makes a world of a difference of how I cope and of how I live. Knowing that Emmanuel, God, is with us. And even more miraculous is that it's not just some mysterious uh, spirit, as it were, um, floating around. That Christ has come to dwell within. Christ has come to dwell within. And as we looked at that last week that anyone who receives him and believes in his name, they have the right to be called sons and daughters of the living God. So let me encourage you to welcome the Holy Spirit to fill us so that we might reflect more of his grace and his truth and less of us. Thank God for his inexpressible gift of Jesus. It's mind-blowing. It's a mystery. We'll never get our heads around it. But please just be reminded, he did it. Whatever he had to do, he did it for you. That we might not just have three score years and ten but that we might live forever with him. Hallelujah. What a saviour. Let us pray.